Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome into Poke the Bear, episode 111. I'm Evan Marinovsky. That is Connor Ryan. Connor, how you doing? Evan, I'm doing well. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Last night, uh, I finished up The Wire, as I tweeted this morning. Great show. I know you were a big fan of The Wire. You watched it. You were someone that helped me kind of get into it. Great show. So I'm doing great. Just a, I can't recommend it enough. As I said, it's like a novel on very, television. Very uplifting ending. Oh, very uplifting, yes. <laughs> very uplifting ending. Very real ending. The beauty yes. of that show is that's so re- it's it's just realism. It's not there's no like you know movie hero type stuff. It's very just seems very real. So um, great show. Watch it if you have HBO. Um, highly recommend it. Are you watching anything right now that's particularly? I'm, I'm in like a, a bit of a drought right now because I was watching Better Call Saul, which you haven't watched. Fantastic. Great. I have to first watch Breaking Bad. and then That's I important. Breaking you should Bad. probably watch that first, but highly recommend both shows. But now I'm in kind of a, a stretch where I'm not invested in anything, which is kind of good. Like, I don't want to jump immediately into something after being so engrossed in one show. So I'm taking my time. You know, I'll, I'll rewatch like The Office or Curb or Veep or something like that just to have on in the background. I'm not going to dive right into a show. There's just too many shows out right now. Like, I, I don't want to. It's like when you go and there's like five different Marvel shows or anything like that. Like, I, I don't have time for this. I can't watch this. can't watch Baby Yoda on his latest <laughs> hijinks. I don't have enough time in the day. So I just try to, I take my time, pick one show, and then commit to it. There's too much going on, like, show-wise. There's so many good ones. You know, it's like Stranger Things and Ozark and, and, and just all these different shows. And you're like, how do I keep up with this? And the Game of Thrones and, like, all these current stuff. And, like, I still got to watch The Sopranos. I've still got to do all these, you know, watch all these other shows before I touch any new stuff. So I think my next order of business, I have to finish Ozark. That's my, I have to, I have to watch season seven of Ozark. And then I'm probably going to go to Breaking Bad, potentially. If anyone has any recommendations, send them. Yeah, yes. I, but I think that's a pretty safe, uh, safe bet, <laughs> so to speak, uh, which we'll get to later. Um, but we do have to talk Bruins today. And this is one of our final like summer shows because once we're now it's September 1st, we're recording this on September 1st. Um, so this is the month the training camp begins. This is uh hockey preseason hockey, at least will be played this month. Um, so this is one of our final, like, you know, let's get through the summer type shows. Thank God. Uh, I know. <laughs> Thank God. Um, we'll start with this. And you wrote a call about this uh, on boston 
the other day about Pavel Zaka, which we talked a lot about when they first traded for him. And then obviously, you know, there were bigger things to talk about like Bergeron and Krejci, but um, we kind of hinted at this earlier in the off season, but it feels like Pavel Zaka could be a good candidate for a guy who could get a little bit of a scoring surge. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think when we say scoring surge, I think that hundred points. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be the Jake DeBrus, 27 goals per game, what have you. But I I think when you look at where he can grow his game, he's already a guy that I think, even though he's got that label of being a guy that taken sixth overall, you know, he hasn't lived up to maybe that hype, but all right. He's a good two-way guy, very good in transition, can give you 30 plus points, but it's not without, you know, out of the realm of possibility that he's a guy that can build his game towards being a guy that gives you 45 points. And now is that a breakout? Is that a surge? Maybe not. But in terms of what his role will be in terms of early on in the top six, most likely next to Bergeron and DeBrusque, or eventually further down the road where he might be in an even more important spot in terms of where they need him to thrive on that third line, most likely with guys like Coyle or Smith or like or whoever it is. If he's a guy that can take that next step forward, it'd be huge for the team. And it's, I don't think that just comes down to the fact that, all right, yeah, he was in the top six with New Jersey, played a little bit with like, you know, Nico Heischer. Uh, New Jersey, not a great team. And no. also, Heischer, first overall pick, can be a good player, but I wouldn't put him as like a high-end top six right now, at least, right? Like, I, I wouldn't put him in that label in terms of where he is. So, if it's either the first few months of the year where he's playing next to Bergeron or just the fact that, you know, he could be getting some time on the power play, especially early on, he should naturally have his numbers jump up a little bit because of that. But I think what encouraged me the most about when both Don Sweeney and Zaka himself were talking about where he has more to give, both of them right away said it's shooting. It's the fact that he doesn't get a lot of shots off. And if you look at some of his goals he scored in, in years past, he's got a heavy shot. Like he's got Ooh, a few yes. of those where it's like, oh, all right, well, that just, you know, sails through a mass of bodies and just gets to the back of the net. And I think wasn't this past year, but during the COVID shortened year, uh, the 56 game season, he had 17 goals and I think 52 games. So he has the potential to be a 20 goal scorer if he just gets more shots off. But he's a guy that I did the, I did the little number crunching shout out natural stat trick. So there were 387 forwards who played a 500 minutes of five and five ice time last year. And Zaka was 240th in shots per 60 minutes at five and five play. Not great. uh, Not the best. Guys who had a higher shot rate include Trent Frederick and Nick Foligno. So not exactly guys in terms of maybe guys you want to have a high shot volume considering, you know, where their kind of role is in the lineup. Uh, You look at where Zaka is, you look at the potential of that shot that he has, the talent that he has, um, and the fact that he's going to get probably better opportunities in Boston to kind of showcase that offensive skill. Uh, It's definitely one thing where it seems like it's good that both management, I imagine coaches and Zaka himself are on the same page in terms of getting more shots off. And again, it's one thing to say that during the preseason or during the offseason, another thing to kind of translate that into game settings. We've talked about that with a guy like McAvoy for years now in terms of getting more shots off. And it's still a gradual process. You don't naturally just go into a year and average, you know, five, six shots per game. But at least it seems like that's an area where the Bruins see a pretty clear avenue of where they could probably get more offense out of a guy like Zaka. 
I would love to see where Craig Smith ranks in the shots per 60. Cause you know, that dude's I just believe he was very from, high up there. Fuck from everywhere. Um, I'll say this, uh, you know, again, just going off points, Zaka's points have steadily increased every year, 24, 25, 25, 32, 35, 36. So, you know, people say he's inconsistent, but at least it rises every year. You know, maybe you think obviously now he has to go up. Uh, obviously I joke about that. I don't think that that is a uh, amazing stat for uh, in favor of Zaka, but I will say if anyone's to benefit from the, you know, Marshane's injury to start the year, Zaka, it's Zaka. It's most likely it's with Bergeron. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's like logically, as you said, you should just by being there, increase your point production. Uh, and then also, you know, again, on that third line with uh, what we presume to be Charlie Coyle and Craig Smith, that's a damn good third line. Like that third line should produce and Zaka, as you said, shooting more, but also Zaka's good at getting to the net big dude. Like <laughs> that's the other thing is like, and he's, he's got everything going for him. I think that's why New Jersey fans and the devils were so disappointed was like, he has all the tools. Like that's a hockey player right there. <laughs> that's like that, that he should be a lot better than he is. Um, and I know Bruins fans kind of cringe because there's a lot of forwards uh, on the Bruins core who like have that exact same problem of you should be a lot better than you are. Um, but again, I think all signs point to the situation that he's in should benefit a guy like Zaka. Now, speaking of New Jersey Devils or former New Jersey Devils, uh, there are two older players uh, or I, washed up is kind of mean. I feel bad saying that because Yandel's older. Subban's 33, right? Subban's relatively kind of young. Yeah, it's just um, his both are over the hill, over the hill, both over the hill players. Keith Yandel and PK Subban uh, are free agents and the Bruins are going to be missing Brandon Carlo uh, to begin the year. Not Brandon Carlo, excuse me. Matt Grizzlick and Charlie McAvoy to begin the year. They will have Brandon Carlo, uh, but they'll be missing those two to begin the year. And we said, I, I said this, I think we both said this around uh, free agency time. Like they got to go out and solidify the depth, at least on the right side. And the only move they made was Connor Carrick, who it's a, a deal between the AHL and the NHL. So is it the right? Would you would you put Keith Yandel or PK Subban uh, on the Bruins? Would you would you give them a PTO? Because for many years now we've heard this about Keith Yandel. Oh, he's going to be a Bruin. Oh, they got to get him on the Bruins, the hometown kid. Do you see either of those two making sense? Uh, I mean, I I don't think I do. I think both guys would be great to have in the room. I think like if you just had Keith Yandel around, it would be fantastic entertainment in terms for of content. You know, would be yeah, he's a he's a great guy, very funny dude. But I think when you just look at this overall depth chart in terms of, and I say depth chart, people are gonna be like, well, all right, you're missing McAvoy and Grizzly to start there. You need bodies, true. But I think when you look at what the Bruins have in terms of. Um, you know, they're starting six guys to open the air plus guys they have in the reserves. I think they'd rather roll with what they have as opposed to seeing what a, you know, 35, 36 year old Yandel who, you know, is, is as advertised in terms of what he can bring offensively, but in his own zone, kind of rough and kind of the same thing with Subban. Both those guys are, if they're your third pairing guys, you give them very sheltered minutes. They can somewhat be effective, but I look at where the Bruins are and the guys that you, you're going to have coming back in a few months in McAvoy and Grizzly. You're just kind of making a log jam in terms of, you know, trying to accommodate these two veteran guys on PTOs to see if they work out. Whereas you can just, I think, roll with, you know, guys like Zaboral and uh, Sean and even Carrick. You have that Kai Wiesman who's coming from Germany who really don't know that much about, but I imagine he's going to be in the mix. We'll see how he does during training camp, but I think if you're the Bruins, you'd rather roll the dice over this kind of short-term uh, uh, 
gap between McAvoy and Grizzly being back. I think you'd rather see what you have in these younger players, see what you have in a guy like a Sean who should be getting some more reps, see what Weisman or Carrick can give you as opposed to placing your bets on kind of a, a, a older veteran guy that you kind of know, you know, the books out on them, you know what their strengths and weaknesses are. But in terms of, I think what the Bruins just need in the short term, which is just guys that can eat up minutes, do their job, be responsible in their own end kind of keep the overall zone defense structure afloat. I'd rather you keep guys in house probably and look at, and look at those as opposed to guys like Subban and Yandel, who again, great guys had very, very great careers, but where they kind of fit and where their strengths are, doesn't seem like it meshes with what the short term need is for the Bruins this year. Even if it would be again, fantastic theater, just having both those guys in the room, but oh, amazing for content, by the way, both those guys would be fabulous analysts yes. uh, at TNT or ESPN or, you know, whoever yes. um, I wouldn't go near Yandel solely. Cause again, you, I, I don't love his, his game where it is. And I don't really love where either of them are at, but you look at the left side, you've got enough there, right? Lindholm, Forbert, Riley, Saboral, Ashan. And that's without Grizzly, right? You're fine on the left side, but the right side's a little different. Again, right now without McAvoy, you have Carlo, Clifton, and then Carrick. I'm not missing anybody there, right? That Those are the three um, on the right side. So again, I'm not saying they should do it, but I don't think I'd be opposed to, hey, taking a flyer on P.K. Subban. You know, something there. He's 33. You know, he did have 21 points last year. Again, points are not everything. His defensive game is completely cratered. Like, I, there's a lot there that I wouldn't love. But if you want a veteran presence there, who you can maybe rely on every couple games or so. Maybe not the worst thing. Because, again, they don't have any other opportunities right now. So it's not like you're, you know, misleading them or something like that. They're not signing these big deals. So, again, a guy like Subban, I don't know. Be interested. So, I mean, again, I, I you're not expecting much. Yeah. It, you're taking a flyer, basically. I don't think it's a huge commitment. And there's no one on the right side who you're really stifling at the moment. Like, again, if you put Keith Yandel in over Jakob Saboral or Jack Ashan, it's like, well, what do you, why would you do that? Like, yeah. you, you want to develop players, that's the wrong way to do it. But you don't really have anybody else on that right side, at least right now, um, that's really ready to go in and compete for a team that's going for the cup. By the way, Subban could go in and absolutely stink. And yeah. that would be that, right? Um, but again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Not going to sit here and endorse it, but I also wouldn't be like completely opposed to that um, solely because I think some depth on the right side wouldn't hurt them. Uh, but again, I mean, I guess it's kind of a good problem to have if Subban just was over, you know, way over expectations. Yeah. McAvoy comes back and suddenly you have, you know, McAvoy, Carlo and Subban. And then you have your Clifton, you know, it's like the seventh D again. I mean, again, that's probably not what would happen. I don't see them doing either of these moves, but yeah. I don't know. I, I think I think the one thing that will be an interesting kind of domino effect is just seeing, especially early on, how a guy like Zaboral fares, not only just in yes. terms of if he can be an everyday NHLer, but I think he saw it last year that he's capable of playing on the right sides. So mm -hmm. I think in a perfect world, it's all right. He slots in on the right side with Riley or, or Forbert, whoever it is, kind of on that second or third DP at the start of the year. And if you have McAvoy and Grizzlick back and you get eventually a spot where you can keep Zaboral at that third pairing right shot guy and are on the right side. Um, that's a good problem to have. If it kind of comes down to him and Clifton kind of battling for those minutes, it's good when you have a competition like that with two guys who in spurts look like, you know, very uh, effective, regular, you know, everyday NHL players. So I think that's their game plan going into it. But yeah, if he struggles uh, to open the year, I mean, he's coming off ACL surgery. That's when things maybe could get a little dicey because he's a guy that, as much as you don't want to put a lot of expectations on a guy who was good last year, but in a very small sample size, 
Zabral taking another step forward, or at least keeping up that level of play he showed last year, uh, is going to be huge for this team, especially in the early going. How about those PK Subban Bruins Winter Classic jersey sales? That would be uh, those would go right off the off yes, the racks. That would absolutely. be absolutely that'd be one of the most obscure jerseys you get. Like remember when PK Subban was a Bruin? Um, safe bet that. They'll figure something out on D, right? Safe bet that, the, that they might figure something out on D. Uh, but we're talking really safe bets. We're talking about our good friends over at Bet Online. Right, you are, Evan. Listen up, guys. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your sports betting needs and sports info. Both basketball and hockey might be in the midst of their off seasons, but over at Bet Online, you can still find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, the latest fighting news, and yes, NFL football is finally back. See how the Patriots are. We'll see. Uh, bet online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from, from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. It's super easy to get started. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's promo code CLNS50. Bet online. Where the game starts, starts. Where the game starts. Speaking, by the way, of veterans who are uh, a little over their prime, not quite in it anymore. Uh, Nick Felino, I saw a tweet. I don't remember who tweeted it, so I can't credit it. But someone tweeted uh, recently. They were like buying NHL 23 solely so I can trade Nick Felino, and I got a kick out of it. It was mean, but it was a funny tweet. It was a funny tweet. I got to give it. I forget who it was. So I'm sorry. For whoever it was, because I really don't someone's, remember. Someone's irate. Watching someone is bump. pissed. Um, but someone did tweet that. At least I'm not like saying it, claiming like, you know, I'm not just saying it. I'm at least crediting someone for tweeting it. So I'll yes. give them that. Um, but is it surprising that nothing's taking place on that front? Uh, I think so in terms of just where you look at the clear need for the Bruins to clear cap space and what was going to be probably the easiest avenue was probably going to be a buyout situation. Because I, I think you look at it, right? All right, you want to keep Felino because you still think he has something left in the tank, which seems to be what they're thinking. I mean, he's a guy that, again, I don't think you can question his work ethic or his ability or his willingness to make plays. It's kind of like Bacchus, right, where I don't think his thing was ever about motivation or anything like that. Great guy to have in the room, great veteran leader, um, awesome guy. But in terms of the production on the ice, sooner or later you need to show up. Um, so for the Bruins, I could see their line of thinking in terms of, all right, last year was kind of a loss year dealt with injuries early on that kind of hampered him, wasn't able to get off to the stretch that he wanted. Um, obviously, I think probably disagreed about where he was deployed last year uh, on the on the depth charting, though. I don't know really if he is moving up this year, if he starts the year w- with the NHL ranks. But I also think where you're the Bruins, all right, you want to give this guy another chance. But sooner or later, you do have to clear that cap space. And whether it's, you know, all right, you don't want to buy out Felino now because you want to see what he has. But if that leads to a situation where then later on you have to move a guy like Riley, for example. All right. Well, like it's one of those ones where Riley clearly has flaws. I think some Bruins fans aren't thrilled with, you know, his level of play last year, but he's still an everyday NHL guy. Like who knows once yeah. McAvoy and Grizzly are back, maybe he does end up on the outside looking in and then it just makes sense to trade him. But he's not a guy that I think you're trading just for the sake of doing it just because you want this guy who was playing at a 40 point pace uh, during his first, you know, stint with Boston. There's not a guy you just moved just for the sake of doing it. He's still a useful NHL asset. Whereas Felino right now, you look at just his level of production the last couple of years, 
kind of have to make that case in terms of how valuable he is he to this overall lineup. So I think it's definitely surprising the fact that um, they, they didn't, you know, buy him out uh, during the window that they had. It's clear they want to see what else they have in them. But I think we can just look at this lineup and the amount of younger players who are trying to, you know, chomping at the bit to get in that, especially that fourth line role. I think we've talked about this multiple times already, Evan, but like, I think the best case scenario for the Bruins lineup wise is you go into the second half of the year and your fourth line is all young, hungry guys like a Frederick or a Beecher or a Steen McLaughlin. I think that's the best case scenario in terms of giving you the highest ceiling and the, the most potential in terms of what you want at your checking unit. And right now you have guys like, you know, Felino or even Nosek who are in that spot who are probably going to get the first reps. And listen, if Felino puts it all together this year and is an impact player and can give you 10, 15 goals, that would be fantastic. Your Bruins would love to have that. They signed him for a reason. Great guy to have. You can tell a lot of the veterans, a lot of the younger players love him, but you can't have him score just two goals in a year. You just can't have it. That's that end of the day. It comes down to the production, right? And the candy corn. I mean, come on. Yes. Um, it's, you know, excusable. No, but I will say, you know, you look at what's been the main message out of Causeway Street this summer. They want to develop younger talent on the third and fourth lines, mainly the fourth lines. They want these kids to play. They want Jim Montgomery to be better with younger players than Bruce Cassidy was. The fourth line is the perfect place right now, to, as you said, to try out those younger guys, you know, whether it be a Mark McLaughlin or an Oscar Steen or a Johnny Beecher, like, though that's your area for that. And you have a guy like Nick Foligno and they're making 3.8 million a year in that spot. And he's not producing. And again, like if he was making that money and he was a solid second or third liner and you could, you know, plug him in then sure. Right. But he's just taking space on the fourth line. I think that's the issue. And it kind of goes against everything they're saying. And I get that, you know, they want to kind of see it through. They want to see if he's someone, they also might say, Hey, look, you know, with the new coach coming in, we want guys who are good in the room. Maybe that's a maybe that's the legit thing that they're they're looking at. But from a from a lineup perspective, from an on ice perspective, it doesn't make a lot of sense that that he's still there solely because that's where you should be uh, kind of harvesting these younger players and and kind of getting them used to the NHL, not uh, taking up space with guys like Felino and Nosek. And by the way, there are probably teams out there who Felino could fit in somewhere uh, in the lineup. Nosek for sure, right? Nosek could go to a team and be a solid fourth line center. Maybe on a team that's even competing, right? Like a team that isn't super focused on um, developing younger talent. But the Bruins at the moment are in those spots. And they don't have, by the way, the Bruins don't have a lot of lineup spots to really like develop young talent. You know, like the top six is pretty much taken. The third line looks pretty solidified as of right now, unless things change. Uh, the fourth line is the spot for that. And again, guys like Felino being there doesn't, Make a ton of sense. Um, but one question that uh, we were at dinner last night. We were at dinner last night. Me and you and Ty Anderson and Nicole Yang of Boston Globe. She covers the Patriots uh, for, the, for the Boston Globe. Uh, and a question we were discussing, debating kind of. We could have honestly made that the podcast. Um, just a round we, table. Just a round table discussion over, over um, great Mexican food at uh, the Borough Bar in, in, uh, in Brookline. But uh, the question came up of, are we underrating the Bruins? Because there's been a lot of hate for the Bruins this year, right? There's a lot of, um, you know, people, some people saying they're not going to make the playoffs. Uh, it's kind of all over the place, but there's, a, there's some negativity. And we were kind of discussing, and we'll discuss it here, like, are we underrating the Bruins? You know, is there a chance they come into this year and, and people are like, damn, they're actually not bad. Yeah, I think it's a, always a tricky situation in terms of, like, especially before a year starts, you know, having a 
optimistic, a cheery outlook, uh, or, or however you want to phrase it, because then people think you're either just kind of homering it up, or you just, you know, you're hoping, you know, you're hoping they're good, which, it, you know, it's our job. I, I do hope the Bruins are good. That makes things a lot uh, better. It's way easier. <laughs> yes, but I, I do think when you just look at the the makeup of this team, and yes, it's going to be tough in the, the start of the year. And again, it's like every NHL team, a whole lot can go wrong. If Marchand uh, struggles to recover from that that hip surgery, if guys like Bergeron and Krejci who are up there in age, if they have an injury or, you know, they, you know, start hitting a, a plateau or a cliff and their game kind of uh, takes a downturn. Yeah. You're in trouble. It's like any other team. If Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landis, Scott and those guys uh, got hurt uh, last year, as has what happened in years past or their goalies didn't stay healthy, then yeah, they would have also had some issues too. Every team has that situation. Andre Vasilevsky blew out his Achilles the lightning would be screwed too. So you need a lot to go right for you. But I think when you just look at this team, uh, you know, this is something we talked about before where you, you look at this, this lineup, they already have a very good top six. You could make it to case the best top six when healthy they've had in years in terms of Krejci, Hall, Pasternak as your second line. How many years have the Bruins been kind of buoyed by that first line? And then you had like the second line of Krejci and insert, winger here, right? Like Peter Solarek, all these other guys. Nick Ritchie. Yeah, you have a legit top six now. You have a third line that even though I think guys like Coyle and Smith and what have you are, you know, can be kind of divisive. Pretty good third line guys. Like considering, again, you look at where that lineup was a few years ago when it was like Jacob Forsbaka Carlson and all these other guys you tried on that third line. Like Coyle and Smith and those guys for third line roles, yes, they're inconsistent, but all things considered, pretty solid players in that spot. You look at Lindholm and you look at McAvoy, Grizzlick, um, you know, a guy like Zaboral, you have a guy like Swayman who should be even better this year. Um, and again, you, you add in the fact that you've got a, a new coach in Montgomery and regardless of your opinion on the, the Cassie situation or what, like I can absolutely see a situation in which you have an established room, uh, a, a team that you have, you know, maybe a, a ceiling capped, you have a new voice in there, new systems, and it gives them just a little bit of more of a boost, right? It's kind of like how the Celtics were. You had a good team with Brad Stevens. He moves, you get Ime Udoka, who's a different voice, different system, and it gets just a little bit more out of them. Like, I could absolutely see that happening. So I think they're going to be a good team. Again, are they a, content- are they a top-tier contender? I wouldn't say so. They're in the mix, which is sometimes all it comes down to. But I also think when you look at the rest of the Atlantic, are they, like, is there a a huge gap between them and like those other teams like ahead of them because all right auto and detroit are going to be better i don't think they're going to leapfrog the bruins by any means but all right you've got toronto who great forwards their defense has gotten better uh their goaltending is abysmal oh it's worse than it's, last it's year it's matt matt murray and Ilya samsonov your two goalies okay there's that you have tampa who once again a year older Again, I say that every year as I feel like I'm talking to a wall, though, because, again, fast loves you can just go on a heater. But you lose more players. You lose Palat. You have another deep playoff run, which, again, we say this every year, but sooner or later those things add up in terms of the amount of times you go playing into the middle of June. Eventually it's going to wear on you. Then you have Florida, who's like kind of the, the real wild card, where that team should be dangerous, but, you know, was it heavy at the top? How- yeah, you look at how much went right for that team last year in terms of how many guys broke through. You have Paul Maurice coming in there and tweaking that system. Um, you have Bobrovsky, who knows what you're going to have there. Like, they're a good team, again, but are they 
a juggernaut. Like it's not like the Bruins are trying to get one last run out of it, but like Colorado's in their division and it's just ready to beat them down. And again, it's a story for another day in terms of if Bruins could like go on a run and beat a team like Colorado. We're not having that discussion right now. No, we are not. But I think in terms of just going into this year, I think the Bruins are a better team than I think some people are giving them credit for. Uh, and again, I think they'll be right in the mix, especially with those that top, you know, brass of, of uh, teams and franchise in the Atlantic division. I don't think we have been underrating the Bruins. I think other people, have, I think I, I have them as like third or fourth in the Atlantic. I think that's like a, solid place to have them. Um, but I was going to mention more of the Atlantic because I do think the Bruins have their own roster questions, right? You know, David Krejci's coming back after a year out of the NHL. Where's he at? I don't expect like a big drop off, but it's a legit, it's a question that you have, you know, you're missing Brad Martian and Charlie McAvoy to begin the year. Those are big losses, right? You know, how are they going to respond during that time? I consider those to be sort of wild card questions, but I really look at the Atlantic because as you said, like the Maple, no one's talking about the fact that the Maple Leafs have deli meat in net. And they have, you know, again, they're the Leafs. They are the Leafs. They just can never quite figure out how to actually get past the first round. You also, again, look at, I'm not going to rehash everything you just said, but Tampa and Florida. Florida is the big one. I think Florida is the, like, you look at that decor, like, look at that depth chart. Look at that depth chart and tell me if you think that team is going to go on a run uh, or have sustained success over the season. And then again, in net with Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight, who Spencer Knight, I, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but he was fairly average last year yeah. if memory serves he was not he did not take the leap that they hoped he would um again surprised they never dealt him because it's a very florida thing to do to you know just grab some beginning of the year but you even mentioned like last year like every panther just going off like remember mason marchment had what was it over like 50 points um well he was on like a 65 point pace for a while there i mean you look at all those guys sam bennett made a yeah. crazy oh jump. like they had sam reinhardt who, yeah sam Re- like again it's a talented team and like even if they got 75% of the output they got last year in terms of those secondary guys, they're still going to be very good, but I can't see unless they hit on every single guy like that, of that team repeating that same amount of success you saw last year, they're going to be good. They're going to be a pain in the ass to play with the play again, especially with a guy like Chuck in there now, but you look at that decor, you look at even like Paul Maurice and what his system is and how that fits with like kind of, uh, a run and gun offense that, you know, brunette kind of instilled last year. Uh, and again, they're fun to watch, but you get to the playoffs. What happened? They got ground to, a, they got ground to a pulp by Tampa Bay. Right. And they, so, they struggle with Washington. Yeah, exactly. So again, they're, they're a team that I imagine it's going to be a war when they play the Bruins in the regular season, but that's a team that still, you go to the playoffs. You're like, can I get over the hump? Again, good teams do that. You make this case that Tampa was a team that had that label of, all right, they're super skilled. Can they get past it? Then you know what? They ended up being a, a team that's kind of built for playoff hockey. You saw how they kind of uh, wore out teams over seven game series. And that's a legit championship pedigree team. And again, they're going to be tough this year again with that same core in place. But I, I just think when you look at the Bruins and where they are with the way the roster is, I don't think there's a massive gap between them and these teams that have kind of been crowned as the the top you know tier talent in the Atlantic division. Yeah, because the odds came out recently, I believe for um, for the division. I'm pulling them up my phone now. You, it, it just you just reminded me of them. And I believe the Maple Leafs were number one. Uh, yeah, the Maple Leafs are number one at 107.5. Again, these are over unders, so this is not like I'm not saying that they're going to get 107 and a half points. Uh, 107.5. Panthers came in at 105.5. Lightning at 103.5. Bruins at 95.5. Then the Senators at 86.5. 
So again, I mean, those, that's a high total for the Leafs. Again, good regular season team. Maybe they can, you know, kind of hold goaltending together with, you know, st- you know, sticks and glue. But I, I just, I, I don't know. I, again, the Atlantic division is more wide open, I think, than, than most people think it is. But right. uh, anyways, Connor, uh, that is this episode of Poke the Bear. What can people look forward to from you over at, uh, over at Boston Sports Show? What can people look forward to from you? Yeah, I think we have uh, still going into the final stretch of the offseason. We'll still have a little bit more uh, day-to-day content in terms of getting ready for camp. We'll go through all the roster battles. All that stuff will be over at BSJ. So please subscribe at bostonsportsjournal.com. Want to follow me on Twitter? You can do that at Connor Ryan underscore 93. Go do all that. That's Connor Ryan. I'm Evan Marinovsky. Puck the Bear Have a great rest of your day. Bye.